All right, good morning, Central Church. Happy New Year to everyone. Did you have a good, good Christmas break? Good, good time with family? Awesome. Yeah, really glad. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, please open to Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series called Extraordinary. It's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. When we, back when we were studying Matthew chapter 5, I intentionally skipped over uh, the verses that dealt with divorce and remarriage because I'm scared to teach on those. No, I'm kidding. I wanted more time. I wanted s- some adequate time to really study and prepare well, and I knew that it would be more than a one-week teaching, and so I wanted to do it right. And so uh, we're going to be addressing that now. Um, the, the topic of divorce and remarriage is a controversial issue in the church. You probably know that. Um, there are lots of different opinions and views about it. Um, but it, it touches all of us. R- raise your hand this morning if, you, uh, if someone in your family or extended family has experienced divorce. Just lift your hand up. I mean, pretty much all of us have experienced that. Um, it seems like just about half of the appointments that I have in my office are either dealing with marriage or divorce issues, unfortunately. Many of the prayer requests that we get turned in every week that, that we get printed up on a sheet, m- many of those, it seems like, are, are related to, to marriage and or divorce. And so it, it's a topic that we need to address. And many of you are both divorced and remarried. Um, and, and some of you have been, have been hurt by the church because of that decis- decision. And the, the community that should have offered you um, truth with grace instead offered you condemnation and hurt. And for that, I am so, so sorry. That you've, that you've endured that. And my hope in the next couple of weeks is to present this topic in truth, but married to grace, and, uh, and to, to bring some encouragement to you along, along those lines. Uh, the reality is, as we, as we consider uh, any uh, topic in life, truth is always, God's truth is always the standard by which we live. It's, it, that's always our, 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 our measuring stick. Um, we can't be afraid of truth in life. Even when we fall short of God's truth, we're met with grace, right? That's the good news of the gospel, that even in our imperfection, when we fall short of God's truth, we're met with grace. But, but we can never uh, lower the standard of truth in order to accommodate our own opinions or desires, right? And that's often what we do with this issue. We, we lower the standard of God's truth in order to either accommodate our experience or to accommodate our feelings or desires for the future. And so I wanna, I wanna do my best to present truth to you along the lines of this topic, and I may not be 100% accurate, I'll admit that right up front, which is why you need to take the scriptures we're gonna talk about, you need to take the, the words that I'm sharing, and study on your own, bring, bring your thoughts to scripture. Uh, seek other counsel, that people that can, can really help you gain insight on the truth of Scripture surrounding this really, really important topic. I love what William Sanford Lesore, he was a professor at Fuller Seminary where I, where I attended. He said this, he said, we have nothing to fear from truth, only ignorance hurts us. New truths, by new truths he means things that we didn't know before that suddenly we now know from God's Word. New truths Uh, always challenge old opinions. That's just true. Like, we have our opinions that we grew up with or we heard from other people or our experiences, but new truth in life, go ahead and throw that back up, 
new truth uh, is going to challenge those opinions. Uh, new truths never destroy old truths. Truth is truth. They merely separate truth from falsehood. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is sort of an abbreviated, there's only two verses, verses 31 and 32, where Jesus addresses uh, the issue of, of divorce and then potential remarriage. It's in chapter 19 that he expounds on that. So we're going to look at both uh, texts this morning, beginning with Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been uh, unfaithful sexually, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, skip with me, if you would, to chapter 19. In chapter 19, Jesus elaborates on this and goes into a lot more detail. So it says in verse 3, Matthew 19, 3, we're going to read through verse 11. Some Pharisees, those are Jewish leaders, came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now let me pause there, give you a little background on that. There, there, were, there were two rabbinical or uh, thoughts of the rabbis, schools of the rabbis concerning this issue. One was very liberal and one was very conservative. The, the liberal group of rabbis said, you can pretty much get divorced for anything. This sounds ridiculous, but as, as ridiculous as if she's not a good cook, if she burns my meals, then that, that became, in that school of thought, reason to divorce her, any indecency that, that you found in her that wasn't pleasing to you, okay? The other was, no, divorce is only allowed really for sexual immorality, okay? They posed Jesus with that question, saying to him, which side are you on? Which do you, are you with the liberals or the conservatives? Jesus responds and says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God or separate what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce? and send her away, they asked Jesus. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard heart. So let's pause there. It was sin. So in, in a perfect world, there, there wouldn't need to be a, a reason for divorce. But in a fallen world, in a sinful world, where sin enters into marriage relationships, Moses was granting divorce on the basis of their sin or their hardness of heart. So Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but Jesus says it was not, that is not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, Jesus goes on, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful sexually. Then Jesus' disciples said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Jesus responds and says, not everyone can accept this statement, only those whom God helps. Now I want you to look at the response of the disciples to the teaching of Jesus about divorce. Jesus says, for the reason of sexual immorality, you can divorce your wife. And they're like, what? That's it? J just for that? Like, like that's the only reason that, that you allow for divorce? My wife is such a nag. 
my, my husband doesn't know how to fill my emotional tank. She's so high maintenance. He wants sex all the time, but he doesn't want to serve my needs. This is, this is tough. And, and you're saying the, the only reason that, that we can get divorced is sexual unfaithfulness? You, you expect me to live with her? You expect me to live with him knowing how, how annoying they are? And so what do they say to Jesus? If that's the case, it's better never to marry. If it's that difficult, it's better to be single. And Jesus said, oh man, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Let, okay, let's give you five more reasons why it's okay to get a divorce. How does that sound? We'll just come up with an easier way to do that. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, in essence, you're right. It is hard. Not only is it hard, it's impossible in the flesh. Friends, that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole call to an extraordinary life. You can't live this life on your own. You need the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit if you're gonna, if you're gonna live this life. If you are going to live the extraordinary life, Jesus says, you can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. And if you are going to have an extraordinary marriage, you can't do it on your own. Jesus says this, here's his response. Not everyone can accept this statement. Translation, marriage isn't for everyone. You gotta think about it. And we're gonna talk about expectations that come with the marriage relationship to help you, if you're not married yet, answer the question, should I get married? Like, do I wanna step into this? Jesus said, this isn't for everyone, but only those whom God helps. Only those who are willing to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, God, if, if you're, a, now remember, the Sermon on the Mount was written to Christians. It was written to his disciples. He's saying to his disciples, if you want, if you want to enter into this marriage covenant, it's no different than any other expectation I've given you in this sermon. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit because marriage requires forgiveness and grace and mercy and overlooking offenses and living sacrificially and dying to yourself and giving up your rights. It requires all of that, which you don't want to do. But the Holy Spirit can help you. So marriage can be lived at a whole different level if you're willing to live Christ's way and by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, this morning we, we read this text and, and we have to admit like the disciples, it seems like that's so hard. Like how do we overcome all of the, the annoyances, the challenges, the disappointments, the, the heartache in marriage? Seems like sometimes it would be better to not be married at all. And let, yet, Lord, you responded by saying no marriage can be extraordinary. If it's, if it's lived under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, help us to understand your truth today and to really live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I found there are four traditional views in the church among Christian scholars of, of divorce and remarriage. 
and they're not all right. They, they, they can't all be right because they contradict each other. So again, you're gonna have to discern as we talk about this, what, what is your view? What is your biblical view on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? I wanna talk about that for a minute. So here are the four views, the traditional views of divorce and remarriage. The first is this, no divorce. No divorce. The foundation of this view or this belief is they take literally Jesus' words, which we just read, that says, um, Moses allowed a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But, but in Christ, and from the beginning, this was not God's intention. This wasn't God's plan from the beginning. And so, um, if, you, if you enter into marriage, you're understanding that this is a, this is a lifelong commitment. So divorce really isn't an option, no, no, no divorce. Now, I should have said this at the beginning. When, when it comes to remarriage, all four of these views allow for remarriage in the case of death. So if there's the death of, of one spouse, everyone would say, yes, you are free from that marriage. Uh, you can now enter into a, another marriage in Christ. So they would say if, if the spouse is dead, then you are free to remarry. But the first one is, is no divorce because that wasn't God's intention. So if you, if you choose to enter into marriage and everybody doesn't choose to get married, some people don't get married because they don't want to. Some people don't get married because they, they think that they can use their time better to serve the Lord if they're single, and that's wonderful. But if you, if you choose to get married, you have to, you have to go into that understanding that, that divorce isn't an option, okay? That's one view. The second view is divorce is okay under certain circumstances, but no remarriage. Divorce is okay, but no remarriage. They, they base that view on Jesus' teaching again when he says, if, if, um, if you divorce your wife for sexual unfaithfulness, fine, but to enter into remarriage, because marriage involves the, the joining together of two lives, you become one, and the divorce doesn't dissolve that. So if both of you are still living, if you enter into another marriage, if you get remarried, then that's adultery because you're already joined to someone else, okay? That's, that's the second view. Divorce is okay, but remarriage is not, all right? Another part of that view is they say that marriage is optional. Like Jesus said, you, you don't, everyone doesn't have to get married. And so because you don't have to get married, you need to really think through this. You need to really pray about this. You need to really consider the person you're considering marrying. You need to take your time. You need, to, you need to seek wise counsel. You need, you need to wait on God and decide, is this really something I want to commit to? Now, I don't agree with view number two because I believe there are legitimate biblical reasons for both divorce and remarriage. But I love the attitude of view number two. I love the attitude that says, if you're gonna get married in Christ, you get one shot. In other words, you go into this not thinking, well, if this doesn't work, then I'll get another chance. I'll find someone else that be, I'll be more compatible with. No, no. You go into this with the attitude that th this is it. Like, I wonder how many marriages that are heading for divorce, considering divorce or maybe already there, that would not get divorced if they, if they had the commitment that if we divorce, I have to be single the rest of my life. If I don't make this one work, I don't get another chance. I wonder if that would change some of our attitudes if we thought, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not getting divorced for biblical reasons, 
then I'm choosing to live a single life. I told you I don't agree with this view, but I like that attitude. So if you're single and you're thinking about getting married, this is the most important decision you will ever make under committing your life to Christ. So you need to take this seriously. You need to think through this. You need to, you need to get wise counsel. You need to wait on God. You need to have people in your life that can speak into that relationship and help you assess whether this is God's plan because you go into this with no intentions of divorce, amen? Because it was God's intention that the marriage be permanent, not end in divorce. The third view, a traditional view about, about divorce and remarriage is divorce is acceptable and remarriage is acceptable, but only for two reasons. And we'll talk about those two reasons in just a second. So they would say the, the Bible gives permission for divorce, the Bible gives permission for remarriage, but only under two circumstances. And we'll talk about that in just a second. The fourth view is exactly like the third view Okay, so divorce is okay, remarriage is okay for these two reasons plus a few other reasons. Okay, so look at the spectrum here. Uh, the, the fourth says divorce is okay, remarriage is okay, and there's several reasons why divorce and remarriage is okay. This one says no divorce, <laughs> no divorce at all. And, and then divorce but no remarriage. So you can see there's a wide spectrum here. All right, so I wanna, I wanna give a biblical response to those four views and help you kind of assess in your own mind what, what you might believe. So the first thing I wanna say is this, God intended marriage to be lifelong between a man and a woman. God intended marriage to be lifelong between a man and a woman. There's three really important things in that statement. The first is this, God intended. God created marriage. It was the invention of God. God created marriage with us in mind for our benefit and to be a blessing to us. God has a plan for marriage. He not only created it, but he has a plan for it, and that plan has been revealed in his word. So God gives us instruction and revelation as to how marriage can best work, okay? God intended that marriage be lifelong. That, that, that divorce never come into the picture. Remember it, Jesus said, from the beginning it was God's intention that, that marriage would not end in divorce. And, and so that's part of this, this revelation. God intended, his plan is that marriage would be lifelong between a man, here's the second thing that's revealed in his word, between a man and a woman, between a male and a female, between a male and a female based on their their sexual identity at birth, their sexual gender at birth. So within the context of God's plan for marriage, it's, it's to be a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman, a male and a female. That's what God said. You can, you can argue that, you can have an opinion about that. That's simply what Jesus said, confirming the teaching of the Old Testament, okay? Our culture doesn't believe that, that's okay. We need to, to understand truth, what God says about the marriage relationship and the parameters for that. And it's not just gender. There are other parameters for marriage that God gives us that we need to understand, okay? So the first thing is, God intended marriage to be lifelong between a man and a woman. So everything that we're gonna see in scripture is going to support that. It's going to support the fact that God wants every marriage to be permanent and lifelong. God's, God's gonna put things into the marriage relationship that will help us make this marriage permanent and lifelong, okay? So again, back to, to Matthew chapter 19, verse six. So they are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
So, so God's intention is that this is a lifelong relationship until one of you dies, then that marriage ends and a new marriage could begin, okay? So that's, that's, that, that's the first. So let me give you some, some points about that. The first thing is this. Marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage represents the relationship, the, the, the relationship between a husband and a wife represents the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. So we go back to, to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Jesus, uh, Paul is going to talk about an Old Testament truth and he's going to bring new revelation or understanding that truth in the New Testament. So here's what he says. For this reason, he's quoting Genesis 2.24, for marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. What mystery? The mystery of, of marriage. He says, but now in the New Testament, we're, we're revealing that he's, he's talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. So marriage is supposed to reflect Jesus and his bride. Okay, so the relationship between Christ and the church is permanent. In fact, it's eternal. The marriage of Jesus and his church is not going to end in divorce. And so if, if you are a Christian and you are entering into a marriage relationship, you are understanding, you are accepting, or you are embracing not only the benefits of marriage. What are the benefits of marriage? There's a lot of them. Companionship. I can just look right here and think of all kinds of wonderful reasons to be married. Companionship. Love, support, encouragement, sexual pleasure, um, all of those things that are benefits to marriage that we enjoy in the marriage relationship. But when you, when you are a Christian and you commit to getting married, it's not only to embrace the benefits of marriage, but the calling of marriage. The calling of marriage. What is the calling of marriage? If you're a Christian man, you, before you get married, you're saying, I'm committing to being representative of Jesus in his relationship with his bride. I am going to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I'm going to lay my life down for her. I'm gonna sacrifice for her. I'm going to serve her. I'm gonna provide for her needs. I'm going to protect her. I'm gonna help her come to the fullness of her potential. I'm going to forgive her and love her like Jesus does. That's my commitment. When you make a commitment as a man, Christian man, to get married, that's the commitment you make to her. I'm, I'm accepting the call of God that I will represent to the world, I will be a witness to the world what Jesus is like to the church. And if you are a woman, Christian woman, you say yes to marry, to marry a man. You are saying, I, I, will, I will commit to the calling that I have as a bride, a Christian bride. I will love my husband, I will be faithful to my husband, I will pray for my husband, we will be one and intimate, and it'll, all the things that the church does in terms of their relationship with Christ, I will represent that to the world. So you're, you're committing to that. You're saying I embrace not only the benefits of marriage, but the very call of marriage. So, so that is one thing that God puts in place when we get married that helps to keep this thing permanent and lifelong because you told God, I will represent you. I will represent this relationship if, I, if you allow me to get married. How are you doing with that? If you're married, are you upholding that? Are you living with your wife in the same way that Christ lives with the church? Are you, are you living with your husband the same way that Christ intends the church to love him and support him? So you made a commitment to do that. So the second thing is, sexual intimacy creates a spiritual union. Sexual intimacy creates a spiritual union or bond. 
God created us in such a way that when you are intimate physically with someone, there is a, a, a bond or a union or an, an adhesion that takes place in your heart at a soul level. You become one flesh. Here's what scripture, let's look at a few scriptures about that. Back to Genesis 2.24. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become what? Say it out loud. One flesh. One flesh. That, that phrase, one flesh, is never used really for any other relationship that God intends. Not with your, you're not like one flesh with your friends. You're to be one flesh with your spouse, with your husband, or with your wife. There is this spiritual, emotional bond, union that takes place when physical intimacy takes place between a man and a woman. Let's go to the next one. Paul says this. Unfortunately, this isn't just true in marriage. This is true with any sexual encounter. So Paul says, don't you know that he who unites himself, the man who unites himself or joins himself sexually with a prostitute is one with her in body? And then he says this, for it said, the two will become one flesh. Same language as marriage. Same result as marriage. If you are intimate with someone that you're not married with before marriage, that, that same bond takes place. That same union takes place. You become one in an emotional and spiritual sense. I can't explain it perfectly, but there is a spiritual union that's established when that happens. Now let's look at one more verse. Matthew 19, 6. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together. This is a spiritual union. This is a spiritual bond that takes place. Let, let no one separate. So God creates, God creates us in such a way that when we hopefully get married and then come together and enjoy physical intimacy with our spouse, that that creates this strong adhesive that helps us to stay together for life. God helps us. He gives us the added benefit of this, of this union, this bond. The challenge is if you, before you're married, are promiscuous or you're involved with other people intimately, that's like taking a, a roll of masking tape and unrolling a little bit and tearing it off and sticking it to a wall and then tearing off that tape and sticking that same piece of tape on another wall and then un unsticking the tape and, and sticking it to another wall and, and then another wall and then soon, how much stickiness does that tape have? And then you want to get married. Then you want to join yourself to your, your spouse and the union, the strong bond that God intended to be lifelong and keep, keep you together isn't as strong as it could have been, which is why God's intention when two people get married, when they come together, that they're both virgins. That's his intention. So that that union that takes place between husband and wife when they consummate the marriage creates this incredibly strong bond that will keep them from unfaithfulness, that will keep them from sin and keep them from separation. So let me say this. If that was your story, Man, there, there is a good ending to that story. That was part of my story. And I believe that God in his mercy and God in his grace can restore what's lost through sin. So if you have had that kind of past and now you're entering, entering into a marriage relationship, God can heal, God can restore, and God can restore that bond and that unity and that, that oneness with your spouse if you'll pray and seek him and allow him to do that. There's redemption for all of us, amen? There's grace for all of us if we weren't perfect before we got married. God can restore those things. So God puts that in place. Sexual intimacy creates this bond to help us keep our marriages lifelong and permanent. The third thing is the leaving principle. 
believing principle. We're talking about things that God does for us. God instructs us in his word to help us keep marriage lifelong and permanent. So the leaving principle takes place again in Genesis 2.24. For the cause of marriage, for this reason, a man will leave. Say leave. That means, it means forsake. It means depart from. Uh, he will leave his father and mother as does his wife. They, she leaves her parents if they're alive. And be united or joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So children leave their parents. Th that's instructed by God. There is a leaving and a cleaving, or leaving and a joining to your, your spouse. Uh, what are you leaving? You're not leaving relationship. Th those relationships are still there. You still love your parents. You still honor your parents. It's not like you're cutting them off, but you're leaving the financial and emotional support that they've provided for you up to this point. You've become dependent on them. Now, I get that if you're a little bit older and you've already moved out and you haven't been living at home for several years, that's totally different than if, you know, in those days, you pretty much lived in your father's house until you got married. And then, so you're, you're actually leaving the financial security, the financial and emotional support of mom and dad. You're saying this, my wife and I, or my husband and I, we're starting a brand new family. And so we are, going to, we are going to trust God for everything in our lives. As we, as we depart from mom and dad, as we leave mom and dad, we're not dependent, excuse me, on them anymore, financially or emotionally for, all, for our support. But we now, as a couple, are gonna trust that God is gonna provide everything that we need. If you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to get married. If you're not ready to leave and forsake and depart from mom and dad's support and covering financially and in other ways, you're not ready to get married because this is a step of faith. We are stepping out. We're believing that God is going to be our provider. As we start a new family, God's going to be faithful to do that. It's almost like getting on a cruise ship. You're going to take a cruise. And when you get on a cruise ship, you, you, you sail out to, to the deep waters. But every cruise ship has one of these, right? What's that? A lifeboat. Well, when you get married, you cut off the lifeboat. You, 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 this isn't a cruise around the harbor where if this doesn't work out or if we break down, we just get in the lifeboat and go back to mom and dad. We just, we just make it work. No, no, we're heading out to deep waters, and if we have problems, we're going to fix it. If we have problems, we're going to make it work. No, no lifeboats. We're, we're not turning back. We're not going back. So there's the leaving principle of leaving mom and dad. God instructs us to do that, to form a brand-new healthy family that, that with God will be lifelong. The fourth is... Um, marriage was intended to be a contract. It involved a legal contract. And there were several aspects to this contract. Um, there was financial exchanges that happened when you got married. And it was a legal, public document that held everybody accountable to the stipulations of that. And the reason it needed... Not, we, we like the word covenant, don't we? Marriage is a covenant. How many of you have heard that? Marriage is, it is, because the Bible, Old Testament refers to marriage as a covenant. But I think we like that word, I think it sounds softer. I, I think it sounds easier to get out of, like, oh, it's just a covenant. A contract is harder to get out, a contract is legal. Like, it's pretty tough to get out of a contract. And in those days, the, the marriage covenant was a contract, because lots of money was exchanged between the two families. So here's what happened. When, when, when a man found a woman that he wanted to marry, uh, he'd go to the father and ask her approval to marry the daughter. If the father gave approval, the groom would pay a bride price to the father, which averaged around 10 shekels. 10 shekels was almost a year's salary. How much do you make a year? That's what you gotta pay the old man to get the woman, all right? You gotta pay dad whatever about a year's salary is in order to secure your bride. 
okay? The dad, in turn, if he approves you to be his, his daughter's husband, he then gives a dowry to the bride. The dowry was usually more than the bride price, okay? So he, and, and the husband sort of kept that. It was kind of in the husband's trust, but it was for the bride. Now, they could spend that to get their life started if they needed to get a house or food or living supplies. They could use that money. But if, if that marriage ended in divorce and it was the husband's fault, if he was unfaithful, he had to pay, <coughs> pay the, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> He had to pay the dowry back to the dad. All right, so you've already spent it, probably, right? You're a few years into this. Now you gotta come up with a year's salary to pay the dad back to get out of it, and there, there were probably other expenses related to the divorce. What's the point? You sit there and you go, is it really worth it? <laughs> is it really worth paying that much money to get out of it, or should we just make it work? If it was the, if it was the bride's fault in the, in the marriage, she forfeited the dowry and had to deal with that. About, it was just hard to get out of it. And that was God's intention, that, that marriage is not easy to get out of. There are things in marriage that make it difficult. So you stood up before a group of witnesses, probably maybe it was just a pastor, maybe it was a justice of the peace, maybe you did a regular wedding with friends and family there, and you stood up in front of everybody and you said, I promise, I vow, I will be faithful to you. I will be faithful to you in good times and bad times, in sickness and in health, in, in provision and in want. I will, I will be faithful to you all the days of my life till death separates us. That's a legal bind. And then you signed the marriage certificate saying, yes, I vow to these things. And God wants you to think about the power of those promises. Because you said not only to that person, you said not only in the presence of those witnesses, but you said to God, God, I vow to you that I will be faithful. I will be faithful to the marriage covenant. And so God wants this legal document to be something that it's kind of difficult to get out of. We need to really think, is it worth getting out or should we just stay in there? So that's the fourth. And the fifth thing that God puts in place is children, children. So when a young couple gets married, God gives most couples the ability to have children together. Uh, some struggle with infertility. Some maybe never have their own biological children. Some maybe have them later in the marriage if, if God allows that. Sometimes there's adoption that takes place and children added. But children, when children, that's part of God's plan, are added to a family, to a marriage, that adds another layer of responsibility. Like all of a sudden, it's not just me and my spouse and my commitment to God for this marriage to reflect the relationship between Christ and the world. But now I have made another commitment Children are a gift from the Lord. Did you know that? The Bible says that? God gives you gifts. And so God gives you these gifts to nurture and care for and raise in the ways of Christ. You made a commitment when you got married because there was a possibility you could get pregnant and have children. So in advance, when you made the commitment to get married, you made a commitment to be a parent. You made a commitment to be a Christian parent and to raise those children in the ways of God. So in, in Malachi chapter 3, when, when, when uh, Malachi is talking about the unfaithfulness and divorce of the Jewish men of that time, they, they'd been unfaithful to the wives of their, their youth, and they'd violated the marriage covenant. And, and, and Malachi says them, the Lord says them through Malachi, and what does the Lord want? What does the Lord require from you? And he answers it this way, godly offspring, godly kids, children that know and love and serve God. Children that have been raised in a home where Christ is honored. Children that are raised in a home with parents 
that demonstrate mercy and forgiveness and grace and the ability to overlook offenses and self-sacrificial love and all of those things so they can see what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. You raise them in a home where, where you're encouraging them toward understanding the gospel and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You made the commitment to raise children when you got married if they came along. You made a commitment to God to raise godly offspring. Divorce can have a devastating effect on the spiritual lives of kids. It can leave them confused, turning away from the Lord. Because the, the people that, that were supposed to demonstrate to them permanence, the people that were supposed to demonstrate to them what it means to have a lifelong commitment to God and to his ways, let them down. I don't say that in any way to bring guilt on those of you that, that are divorced and remarried. Please, don't hear it that way. I'm talking about people that are beginning to enter into that. What, what are you entering into in marriage? You're entering into the possibility of having children and God has high expectations for you. He wants godly offspring. Kids deserve and expect and need parents who love one another. So they can, they can then grow in relationship and then when they get married, they've had, they've had a great model upon which to draw as they seek to have a lifelong and permanent marriage. So God gives us these five things. The calling to marriage. Our lives, our marriage is to reflect the, the, the relationship with Christ and the church. Um, what's the second one? Sexual intimacy creates a spiritual union. The leaving principle. Uh, marriage is contractual and they made it difficult to get out of that. And then children come along. All these layers that God put in place so that we would consider the importance of marriage being a lifelong commitment to our spouse. All right, so let's go to point number three. Point number three is, I'm sorry, point number two. God approves divorce in certain circumstances. God does approve and allow divorce in some circumstances. So let's talk about the two that we, that we mentioned before. This is what Jesus said. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for, say except for, except for sexual immorality. So that's the exception clause to divorce. Jesus said there, there is something that, that gives you permission to leave that relationship, and that's if one of you is sexually unfaithful to the other, okay? Paul says a similar thing. The situation here is this. Um, Jesus came, died on the cross, resurrected, went back to heaven. The apostles in the church then start spreading the gospel and, and people are getting saved. So there's two people that are not Christians and they're married. And one of them hears the gospel and gets saved. <clears throat> and suddenly it changes their life. They start living differently. They don't necessarily want to get drunk anymore. They want to go to church all the time. Uh, they, they want to give their money to the church. Their, their values begin to change. And, and the spouse that's not a Christian says, wait, that's not what I married. That's not what I signed up for. We used to go out and party. We used to go out and do these things. And I don't want to give my money to the church and I don't want to go to the church. I don't care about the church. And that causes tension in the marriage. And so the non-Christian in that marriage with the Christian says, I don't want to be married to you. I don't want to do those things. And they leave the marriage. Here's what Paul says. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, meaning Jesus didn't directly teach this, but I'm teaching it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If any brother, Christian, has a wife who is not a Christian and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and, she is, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. 
The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So Paul is saying, again, that relationship, Christian and non-Christian, the non-Christian doesn't want to live with the Christian anymore, doesn't want to participate in Christian things, so they want to leave. Paul says in that case, divorce is acceptable. And, and we'll talk about the remarriage aspect of that in just a second. You know what's weird to me about that? Is that, that I've known a lot of couples where one is a Christian and one is not. And the Christian lives a good life. The, the Christian is, is caring and, and supportive and faithful and pure and honest and trustworthy. They're Christians, they, they live like Christ. And, in most of those marriages, the non-Christian doesn't want to get out of that marriage. Like, you found a pretty good deal. Like, that's a pretty good spouse, and usually they want to stay in that relationship. So if you're in that situation, if you're the Christian in a marriage with a non-Christian, you need to be demonstrating what Christ is like. They may get saved through you. That's the hope. But if they want to leave, Paul says you're free. Divorce is acceptable under that circumstance. Point number three, remarriage. Uh, God approves remarriage in certain circumstances, and they're, they're the exact same two. So let's go back and look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and then marries another woman, <coughs> commits adultery. Unless what? <coughs> Excuse me. You, you, you don't commit adultery if there's been sexual unfaithfulness in the marriage. That's the point of that verse. So sexual unfaithfulness gives a person in a marriage permission to divorce that person and also permission to remarry. Paul says the same thing. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound or under obligation in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So Jesus and Paul say essentially there are, there are two reasons, clear-cut reasons, why divorce and remarriage is acceptable before God, biblical reasons for divorce. One is sexual unfaithfulness, and one is if you are in an in unequally yoked marriage with a, with a non-Christian, and the non-Christian doesn't want to be married to you anymore, and they initiate the divorce, and they leave. Then you are free from that relationship and free to remarry. Okay, so I mentioned the very start of this that there are other reasons that people mention today related to divorce. It's not just, well, they weren't sexually unfaithful and they weren't a non-Christian that left me. Are there any other reasons why divorce could be acceptable biblically? And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. See what I did there? So now you gotta come back next week to, to, to have the question answered, the, the, the one question all of you want ans wanted answered today. We're gonna answer that next week. All right. To allow divorce doesn't mean it's required. I, I want to make that clear. So if someone's been unfaithful in your marriage, that doesn't mean you have to get divorced. And in, and in most cases, when that happens initially, I would say do your best to work that out. Man, let there be forgiveness and grace and work through that if possible. It, it becomes obviously more challenging if that's repeated later. The extraordinary life requires extraordinary power because we need to live lives of love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And marriage, Charlene and I can vow, I think I can, I don't know if she can, but marriage can be extraordinary when you're in Christ and you have the right person. If it feels too hard, it's because it is. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling us and empowering us to live in extraordinary marriages. All right, so let me ask a couple questions. Are you married right now? Are you in a marriage right now? Then try to find the grace to stay married in Christ. Are you divorced 
then don't live in the realm of shame. If you're already divorced, live in the realm of God's grace and God's forgiveness and move forward in your life. Are you divorced and remarried? If that's the case, make Jesus Christ the center of your marriage. Do all of the things we talked about today, one through five, in order to have a permanent and lifelong marriage and relationship and keep moving forward, don't keep looking back. Are you single today? Are you unmarried? Be wise. Think through this, pray through this, seek counsel about this. Approach this marriage possibility as though you just get one shot. You gotta make it count. You gotta make it work. If you're here this morning and something that I said stirred something up related to marriage, divorce, or remarriage, we're gonna have some folks who would love to confidentially pray with you in our prayer chapel, which is out those doors to your left and around the corner. If you have any other needs that you'd like prayer for, we're gonna have some folks up here just to pray. Don't, don't be proud, too proud and not come forward for prayer if you need prayer. And the last thing I wanna say, men, I mentioned the, the men's summit coming up on February. Did I mention that already in the service? I didn't mention, okay. Uh, Tom Henderson and, and the men's summit is coming up on, on February 4th on Saturday. And guys, as we talk about successful marriage, as we talk about being the men that God has called us to be, this is one opportunity here at the church where you will be encouraged, challenged, motivated, and inspired to lay your life down for Christ, to be everything God wants you to be, and that will have a profound effect on your marriage. I encourage all of you guys, college age and up, to come on February 4th. Tom Henderson is out in the lobby at a table. He'd love to talk to you about that. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we ask this morning in, in your name that you give us the grace that we need to live the life that you've called us to live, an extraordinary life. Help us in our marriages, Lord, to put you first, to find the grace to forgive and the grace to encourage. Help us to be witnesses to the world of what that relationship is supposed to look like. In Jesus' name, amen.